0: In this series about um, the redeeming presence of God in our world and in our lives. And this morning, I want to. Um, we've been talking about dreaming, we've been talking about reimagining, and all those things. And I'm just going to jump in this morning where Jason left off last week. So if you haven't heard last week's talk, it's up online. Can I recommend that you listen to it? It was an excellent, excellent talk. But I'm just going to jump in where, where he left off last week in Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, we find a story of a man who um, has been in exile and he, and he hears the stories about how Jerusalem is just lying in, in tatters and it breaks his heart. Something begins to happen to him. Something begins to happen to his heart. Um, something begins to shift in him and he begins to dream and he begins to reimagine and, and think about what would it be like? What would it be like if that place was rebuilt? What would it be like if the, the city walls were, were rebuilt again? And as we have looked through this series, some of the things that we've talked about, we've talked about repentance, the importance of of coming to a place in our lives where we we realize the way we've been going or the way we've been living our lives or, or even just to repent of our lack of vision and dreams for the communities around us and the people that we live with. We've talked about the importance of reconciliation, how that reconciliation, the work of reconciliation is such an important thing and it's such an overused word in our context in Northern Ireland, but let's not, let's not lose its meaning just because it's overused. It's an overused word, but I don't think it's an overused practice. There's a difference, isn't it? I'm tired of people talking about it, but I would love, love, love to see real reconcilers rising up in our communities. Wouldn't you? So Nehemiah, if you want to turn with me, to your, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to, turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be skipping through it. If you need a Bible, wave and Malcolm will give you one. Anyone need a Bible? Here we go. Okay, great. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'm going to be skipping through. I really encourage you to read the story of Nehemiah. It's a great story. Um, it's very quick and easy to read. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. When God breaks our hearts for the things around us that are wrong, the first thing that we need to do is to pray to him. I love this about Nehemiah. He says he sits down and he weeps, but then he does something about it. In his morning, he fasts and he prays. He dedicates himself to hearing from God the way forward. I don't know about you, but sometimes I turn off the news because... I watch it and my heart is broken, but I don't really want to do the next step that I know I need to do to change anything. And the next step has to be that I have to go to God with it. And Jason, I, I, I love the news, so often I'll be watching the news and I'll get upset about something and Jason's going, I'm going, oh, Jason, would you hear this? And he goes, Michelle, don't tell me because I know I'm not going to do anything about it. So, and I used to argue with him and make him listen anyway, which wasn't very kind. But I get what he's saying. He's saying, Michelle, there's no point you sitting there crying about that. What is the point in you listening to this and breaking your heart over this story and just sitting here in a puddle of your own tears and actually just feeling sorry for yourself because you're sad about someone else's misfortune when you're actually not going to do anything about it? Better that, better that you don't know than to not do something about it. But here with Nehemiah, he sits down. He weeps when he hears, hears the news from his beloved Jerusalem And he dedicates himself to God in fasting and praying for a solution. You see, when we come to God in prayer, when we come to him in that place of desperation, when we come to God in this place where he has moved our hearts, when we are broken, when we are feeling filled with his compassion for whatever the circumstances that we are seeing around us, we come to that place, then we can expect for him to move and speak to us in that place of prayer. That's what he does. Prayer helps us to see what it is that we're looking for. When we come to this place, into this place of prayer, and I want us to talk about that this morning, of this whole idea of where a reimagining begins, it has to begin in the place of prayer. And what I mean by that, it has to begin in the place of the, with the presence of God. And that's what prayer is. When we break prayer down to the simplest thing, It is just being with God. It's being in his presence. It's having a conversation with the God of all the universe, who also is our father. I love those songs we sang this morning. He is a good, good father. We can come to him. And it's in his presence that we find the solutions. It's in his presence that he gives us the dreams that can unlock not just our town, but can unlock nations. Do you believe that? It's in his presence that he brings the solutions from heaven to earth. It's when we sit with him. It's when we dedicate ourselves to being in that place and saying, okay, God, I'm not moving from this place. I'm not shifting from this place until I find a solution, until you give me a dream that's going to bring um, redemption, not just to my life, but to the lives of other people. Nehemiah one eleven says this, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah prayed to God for an opportunity. He didn't just pray for a miracle. He prayed for an opportunity. He said, Give me an opportunity. It says, I was the cupbearer to the king. So, as a cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah was a place of like a, a really low servant. When he came into the presence of the king, he wasn't allowed to look at him left or right. So, his job was to drink the drink to make sure there was no poison in it. That'd be a bit of a scary job, wouldn't it? Imagine that. Every day, it's like playing roulette. Russian roulette every single day, not actually gambling roulette, a very important word in that sentence. You know the one with the gun thing anyway. (laughs) But it was like that every day he went in and he brought the wine in to the king, made no eye contact. His job was purely to keep the king alive while he could enjoy his wine. That was it. That was his job. He had no position where he was allowed to speak to the king. He wasn't allowed to look at him. He wasn't allowed to make any contact with him at all. So he knew that if he was going to, God began to plant this seed in Nehemiah's heart. What if we could rebuild the walls? What if we could lift this city from its ruins? God began to birth that in the heart of Nehemiah. But as he began to birth that, Nehemiah also knew that he was going to need an opportunity to bring this idea before the king. He needed a divine intervention. Now, I don't know about you, but my prayers for divine intervention tend to involve me not being involved at all. Anybody else pray those? It's like, I'm like, okay, God, do a miracle. This is a, we need a miracle. We need an outright total miracle, and I do not need to be involved. I don't need to have that scary conversation, I don't need to go to that scary place, and I don't need to have any risk of being rejected in any way, shape, form, or fashion. That tends to be my prayers, to be honest. But so often, and sometimes God does answer our prayers like that, right? Sometimes he divinely, miraculously steps in in ways that only he can do. But more often than not, he wants to partner with us to bring the solution. He could miraculously intervene all the time. But instead, what he longs for is to partner with us and to bring us into the story. Isn't that amazing? What an invitation. So Nehemiah, he prays for an opportunity. He prays for an opportunity. He prays a kingdom prayer. And a kingdom prayer is more than often about this invitation into partnership. So often, when we pray these kingdom prayers, really what God is saying is, the solution to the problem is you, but I'm gonna give you all the backing of my Holy Spirit. Isn't that scary? When we pray for our towns, for our villages, for whatever industry you work in, and as I look around this room, they're well vast industries and probably most of them between media and schools and education and manufacturing and retail and law and lots of other ones that I can't remember now, I'm looking around the room, but all those different areas of, of, the, of our industries and of our workplaces and of our community are represented in this room. As we begin to dream over them, as God begins to... Just put that wee seed and that wee nugget of a dream in our hearts. And as we begin to imagine and to reimagine with the Holy Spirit of what it could look like if God broke in. Just for a moment. Where you go to school, where you work, where you live. Imagine God broke in. Imagine you turn up tomorrow morning and God's there. What does it look like? How is it different? How's your home different? How's your family different? How's the street where you live different if God Himself moved in tomorrow morning? Those are the type of reimagining and dreams that God wants to awaken us. Not some abject thing in the distance not even some great, massive cause. He wants us to bring it right down, personal, into our everyday, into where we are, not away far off, but right here where we are. And one of the things that we can do, just like Nehemiah, is we can pray for an opportunity to have access to the influencers. Now, by that, I don't mean the people that hold all the power, because sometimes we know that it's not... Well, the power looks different, but it's the people. Who in your community, who in your workplace, who is the people who are the influencers? Who are the ones that actually hold the keys to the decisions? What about if we prayed for divine appointments with those people? What if we prayed for open doors and seats at tables? Nehemiah also prayed for favor. He prayed for opportunity and he prayed for favor. Nehemiah 111, give your servant success today but granting them favor in the presence of this man. Think about it. If God could sway King Artaxas towards Nehemiah and finance the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, if he could do that, God did that. God changed the heart of this king. Not only did he give Nehemiah permission to go, but he also financed the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem If God can do that, God can open the door to the conversation that you need to have that's going to unlock the dream in your heart. It's the same God. It's the same God. And then next, what happens? Nehemiah prays for the opportunity, he prays for favor, and then he has to risk. Four months later, Nehemiah was going about his usual duties and the king noticed something different about Nehemiah's countenance. He was very sad. The king was immediately curious. He was curious. He was like, why, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? Since this was the first time that he'd ever noticed Nehemiah looking dejected. You see, the problem in this is that when you're the cupbearer, your job is to be invisible, Right? Your job is to be this invisible person really coming, bringing the cup to the king. But you're not supposed to bring an atmosphere into the king's presence. Because the king might think that you're annoyed with him. And if the king thinks you're annoyed with him, what do you think might happen to you? Head off, new cup cupbearer next day. So Nehemiah is risking even, even that he's carrying any of this burden into the throne room as is, is a risk to him. But Nehemiah was very careful in replying. The king said, why do you look so sad when you're not ill? What's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? Why do you look so sad when you're not even ill? And Nehemiah was very careful in replying. In fact, I think he was probably afraid. The king said, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the King of Heaven, and I answered the King, "If it pleases the King, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it." Nehemiah two. Nehemiah was a slave, and he he hadn't got a lot. He didn't have anything. He was a slave in a foreign land, serving a king that was not his king. But he uses what he had. And that was an audience with the king. Our dreams must have a mission, a strategy. And God uses whatever we have in our hands. And it doesn't often seem like very much. There's a good chance this morning you're sitting here and you're thinking, Michelle, this all seems so airy-fairy in the sky, talking about dreams and reimagining and God putting something in my heart and all that there. And you're thinking, but it's just me. What can I do? I don't know anybody of influence. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea how this works in my everyday life. And yet It does. Nehemiah felt like the lowest of the low and yet God used him. And as we read through scripture time and time again, Esther, the poor servant girl who gets an opportunity to come before the king. Person after person after person who God uses, who we would never choose. Moses, we would never choose Moses. The disciples, my goodness, you wouldn't want to plant a church for them, boys. And yet, God chooses all of us in our weakness, in our feeling of, I don't have enough. He says, What do you have in your hand? Nicola and I went to India. She's down in the back there. Give us a wave, Nick. Nicola and I went to India in March, and we had a dream that we were going to provide village women and teenage girls with reusable sanitary pads. Now, that dream actually started as a seed planted a long time ago on a trip to India that I that I was on, and it never really sprouted. There was the seed was planted, but I never really sprouted. And to be honest, I tried to push the door on it, but I was too afraid of offending you may find this hard to believe, but I was too afraid to offend, so I stopped and didn't really push hard enough, and I forgot about it, right? The dream buried deep, deep, deep in my heart. And then our Caleb took me to a magazine launch in Belfast, and in a place in an environment where I felt very out of my depth, I'm standing in this very trendy place in Belfast with my very trendy son and all these very trendy people all around me, and I'm thinking, why am I here? Like, honestly? this is embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. I don't know how he feels having his mother at this thing, but I am embarrassed for myself, okay? Totally embarrassed. I'm like, oh dear, I feel every bit 47 today. And um, I'm standing surrounded by all these young trendy things in, in Belfast. And this lady gets up and she begins to talk about her project, who's in this magazine called Shared Threads. And she shares a story about how this whole, her her whole um, organisation is all about providing reusable sanitary products to the developing countries. Halfway through, Caleb's nudging me in the ribs. And I'm going, what? And he goes, you need to do that. And I went, shut up. Give me a piece. And he's like, no, you need And I went, I'll talk to you in a minute. Okay. So we're coming out afterwards and I'm like, Mom, you need to do that. You totally need to do that. And I was like, um, I I kind of tried that before, didn't really work, you know. Culturally, it's a very sensitive issue. Caleb, very sensitive issue, and like didn't want to offend people. And you know, the way you boys don't like talking about periods. And he's like, Shut up, mom! Don't use that word. And I went, Yeah, exactly. You don't like using that word. And I, you know, so you want me to go to India and use that word? Mm-mm, no, no, I'm not doing that. And we started this whole conversation. And he goes, he looks at me, and he goes. I can't believe you let that go. How could you let that go? Something that important. See, sometimes the voice of God sounds like your twenty year old, twenty one year old son giving you a righteous challenge. From there it's all a bit of a whirl, a chat to Nicola. Oh, my goodness, who then runs with it in a way that I could never run with this idea. I can't sew. I can barely sew a button, and even then it looks awful. You can tell which button I've sewn if you saw it coming. If you ever look at Jason's shirt and it looks like a dodgy button, that would be me. Nicola takes a dream, and she has just made it flourish into something unbelievable. Because, you see, my dream needed a team. Do you like that? That sounds like a Cheryl Roberts line. Just saying (laughs) My dream needed needed a team. Fast forward and Nicola and I are sitting in India in March and we're sitting in a bedroom tucked away because again the word period is not really allowed to be spoken in public. So we're in this back room and we're talking to the woman and they get really excited. And as they get excited, we get even more excited. And I'm thinking, we're going to combust. Like, we are just, like, busting out of ourselves because this is all taken off. And here we are going to India with our wee pack, thinking we might get one conversation. By the time we leave that room, we have three seamstresses. Like, wow, this is amazing. Fast forward again, right? We get a message from Leanne in India about a month ago to say that Avanish, her husband, has sourced all the fabric that we need that, again... Amazing Nicola has worked out exactly what's the most safest fabric to use and everything and Avanish has sourced it and they've just delivered the first batch of all the material that's needed to some of the seamstresses in the villages. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Gets better. So yesterday I got another update and we now have three sets of seamstresses from three seamstresses now, three sets of seamstresses in three different areas and they couldn't buy small enough quantity of fabric, this is making me slightly nervous, but anyway, they had to buy enough fabric for 450 pads. So, we will now be distributing these packs to three villages, different villages in India. Isn't that mental? Absolutely mad. Here's the thing, my dream was almost aborted because of fear. Because I was, I was afraid that I was going to offend. I was afraid of my reputation. I was afraid of annoying people and all that there. And I almost let that dream die. But God didn't. He didn't let it die. But I could not honestly do this on my own. I needed a Nicola. And we need those women in India. We need them. We needed a team. We needed people that were going to do it. Now, you're going to be hearing more about this because we have 450 pads worth of material to pay for. But that's a whole other story. But anyway, um, we have called the pads Betty, B-E-T-A. And we asked our friend Leanne, we said, what's the most affectionate term for a woman or a girl? And she came back with the word Betty and she said, in Hindi, it's like a pet name for your daughter or someone who's like your daughter. So it's like a wee bit like we would say, like we pet, only the female form of it. Isn't that great? I just love how God opens the doors. He opens the doors. He plants the seed of our dream. We go to God and we say, God, I remember sitting in India many a time and I'm going, God, I need to help these women some way. We need to do something. It's not enough for me to cry. It's not enough for me to come home and cry. I need to do something to change these women's lives. And he gives us this seed. And this is one small thing. This is a small thing. But it's a significant thing for these women and the girls. The other week as well, I, I got a call before I went from holidays on the answer machine in the office and it was for the, from the seropetus group in Dunganon. Anyone heard of them? So not... I See, I can't even say it. Anyway, that group. I didn't know who they were. Never heard of them. And I... Um, chatted to them and they said they wanted someone to come and talk to them at one of their meetings about reach and about some of the other things that we do and she said what else do you do and I started talking to her about the refugee work that we do and then I said oh we also work she says do you work do you do anything else anywhere else and I said oh yeah India I started talking about India started talking about the betty pads and she got very excited about that so she has me booked in in October to go and meet with them and chat to them and then I googled the group because I didn't know what they were and here's what their mission statement is To help women and girls achieve their individual, collective potential, realize aspirations, and have an equal voice in creating strong, peaceful communities worldwide. It's like, wow. I didn't even know that group existed. And even if I had, I wouldn't have known how to get an invitation to go and speak to the group. Isn't that amazing? God just keeps opening doors, doors after doors. We see we need a team. Your dream needs a team. Nehemiah 2.18 says, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Do you know how many families it took to rebuild the walls? I took a quick read through the chapters. 40 families, plus numerous unnamed families of priests. The poor priests got a bit of a bit raw job because they just, they did not even get named. Just every so often, it's uh, this family and this family and this family and the priests and then and this family and this family and this family and the priests. So I don't know how many priest families were involved, but they were all involved there, plus another 40 named families. And here's what it says when you read. If you read through chapter 3, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. It keeps saying to them, it'll say, Such and such a family, and next to him, such and such a family. Next to them, such and such a family. 21 times it says this wee phrase, Next two. Next two. They worked side by side, day by day. Every family. There were jewelers rebuilding the wall. Now you're thinking, how? I read that and I was like, that would really be a wee bit like sending me out to build a wall. I would not have a clue. I would need to have somebody like Marcus Nelson standing beside me. Marcus, you look like a boy who could build a wall. Can you build a wall? Yeah, of course you can. I would need someone that like that giving me very clear instructions how to build a wall. And I imagine the jeweler also needed very clear instructions on how to build a wall. But everybody put their hand to that wall. Every family. Because it was for all of them. You see, Nehemiah's dream to rebuild the wall wasn't just about the redemption of the city. But it was so big that it required the city to build it required the whole city to build it. And here's the thing. You see the dreams that you're reimagining and you see the things that God is putting on our hearts as a church and as a community and as a family for this town and for your town and where you live and where you work. Those dreams are going to take the whole community to see them come into fruition. We're going to have to stand next to. Build next to. That's what I. That's why I love Give a Day to Gannon. Next week when you show up next Saturday with your old clothes, please, very old clothes, because you're going to get very dirty and messy and mucky, Um, come along. When you come along, you're going to be working next to, next to another family, and next to another family. And it's going to be like we're rebuilding the walls, actually, physically, next week in the That's what we're doing. And hopefully, if you're like me, you'll be beside somebody who actually knows what they're doing, because Cheryl was reading out all those things earlier, and I was thinking... I don't know if I can do any of those things, actually. So I'll be in the kitchen cooking. So you'll find me next week because I know what I can do. See, sometimes, if you look at this, Nehemiah had this dream and he went to rebuild. And all those people that stood on the wall, that might not have been their dream initially, right? That might not have been the thing that got them up in the morning. But they attached themselves to Nehemiah's dream. They realized that his dream was a God dream and they joined his team. And for some of you sitting here this morning, maybe it's not your dream that you're going to align yourself to. Maybe it's a dream someone else has that God's inviting you to come onto their team. Does that make sense? Read the story. Read the story of Nehemiah tonight. And here's what you'll discover is that when you act on your vision and you step out and you take a risk, and you gather your dream team, which Nehemiah did, family after family, 40 families and more, rebuilding, then here's what happens. Opposition comes. The neighbors round about are not happy that this city is being rebuilt. The enemies of Jerusalem are not happy that this city is being rebuilt. And they begin to criticize and bring opposition. Nehemiah 4, verses 13 to 18 Therefore, the opposition came and the threats came. Nehemiah got word of it. They weren't happy. All surrounding them, they weren't happy. And he knew that they were at risk. And the people in Jerusalem were saying, we're, you know what, this is dangerous. This, why are we doing this? This is starting to get dangerous. We're going to be attacked. And we're, we're building the wall, but the wall's not built yet. We can't defend ourselves. We'd have been, some of them were even saying, like, Do you know what, we'd have been better leaving it alone. Do you ever feel like that when opposition comes? You think to yourself oh, where did I start this? I'd have been far better not starting this. It'd have been far better if I'd never had a dream in the first place, God, than this here. Now I've got opposition. Now I've got people coming against me. Now I'm in danger. Nehemiah says this. This is what he does. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families again with their swords, spears, and bows, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. They worked, and they defended themselves. We have an enemy of our soul who will bring opposition to your dream. You can be sure of it. You can be sure of it. That when you step out and you risk, when you take courage and you you step into the unknown, the enemy will quickly come and he will do exactly what these men, what these other leaders around them did. He will criticize, he will threaten, and he will try to make you feel afraid and give up. But here's what Nehemiah did again. He went in prayer to God. He went in prayer, you can read it, in Nehemiah 4. He goes to God again and God gives him a strategy. God gives him a strategy. He said, okay, we're going to keep rebuilding this wall, but here's how you're going to do it. You're going to rebuild and you're going to defend at the same time. Opposition will come, but it is never, ever a reason to give up from what God has called you to Nehemiah prayed in this place of resistance and criticism. And God gave him a great strategy to complete the wall. Family by family, each person did their part. Some garden, some building, some doing both at the same time. See, Nehemiah was not just a leader with a vision. He troubleshooted with God. And when the opposition came, they formulated a plan together. Again, it's about partnership. God is inviting us into partnership all the time. He said, come on, Nehemiah, let's get this plan. Let's, let's get a plan. Let's get a strategy together. The end goal is we're building this wall. This wall is being rebuilt. So how are we going to make this happen? See, we all like the idea of, um, as a church family, we all love the idea of, you know, broken people coming and being part of our family. Or we all love the idea of getting um, our hands messy and, and, you know, trying to bring solutions to our communities in different ways. And it sounds like a great idea and a great concept. But the truth is it's going to be way more messy than you ever imagined. The truth is there's going to be obstacles that we don't even yet see. But here's the great news we have a God that can overcome all obstacles. We have a God that can give us strategy and plans to build the wall that He's asking us to build. Chapter 6, verse 1 Sambalat, Tobiah, Jeshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Gresham sent the message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. The opposition didn't stop. The criticism didn't stop. The plots against Nehemiah and the people did not stop. But here's also what did not stop the work on the wall. Nehemiah is saying, I cannot and I will not come down. I will not go and see you until this work is finished. This morning, what is the something in your life? What is the world, what is the wall in your world that you need to climb up on and stay working on until it's finished? See, for some of you, you're already in the middle of building your walls, right? You're not starting off. You're not in the place where this is God giving you a dream for the first time. You're already maybe years in to something that God has put in your heart, a dream that you are longing to see fulfilled, and you already are knee-deep, waist-deep in it. But the opposition and the criticism and the plotting against you And the ongoing onslaught of what feels like a constant attack is wearying you. This morning, I'm saying to you, do not stop. Do not come down from your wall until what God has asked you to do is finished and completed. The resistance and the opposition, it says four more times, they sent the same message And each time, Nehemiah gave the same reply. I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. God didn't wipe out the opposition. He strengthened Nehemiah's resolve to stay on task and finish what he had started. Neither did God silence the criticism. Instead, he further strengthened the team. He got them not just working together, but defending each other. He strengthened the team, family by family, so that together they finished the wall. Whatever you're enduring, whatever dream you're reimagining, whatever seed that the Lord has planted in your heart, stay patient in the enduring. Pray for the resolve of Nehemiah. Pray for a strengthened team around you. And do not come down off that wall until it is finished. Let's stand. Can I have the prayer team, please? I just ask you to close your eyes just for a minute if you're okay with that. I um, just get the sense there's a couple of things but the first one I want to start with is that um, there's some of you that just feel that you're in that place like Nehemiah and the people and you're just in this season of onslaught and criticism and opposition that just feels like it's coming at you from all angles. And you've maybe even said something similar to this. It's like, "The Lord, I'm weary. I'm tired. I don't know if I can keep standing. Or maybe you've started to doubt what it is that you're doing in the first place. That's the enemy trying to get you to come off your wall. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray for you. So while everybody's eyes are closed, why don't you put up your hand and I would love to pray for you this morning that you're just feeling overwhelmed with criticism and oppression and resistance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's a couple more. I'm just going to give you a couple of moments. It might even feel like the opposition is coming from inside your own head rather than the voices of others. Yeah. Thank you. So, Father God, right now, just silence the criticisms. Father, would you speak your words of truth? God, remind these precious people of the dreams and the promises that you've spoken over their life, God. Even right now, would there be sprouts begin to form and that we plant? those wee tender shoots start to come up. Give them the strength to stand on their wall and not move until it is finished. And God, I pray for a team around them. Who's next to you? Next to you? Who is next to you? Each of you that responded, who is next to you? Who's to your left and who's to your right? And if there's a gap fill it. God, would you show them who they need in their team? Who do they need to stand with them? Who do they need to pray them through this? Who do they need to help them finish their wall? Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you. You're so gracious to us. You're so kind. For some of you this morning, this is a call again to stand shoulder to shoulder next to 21 times in that one chapter. God is asking you and calling you to be in your team, whatever that team is. He doesn't want you sitting on the subs bench anymore. He doesn't want you making excuses to not show up. You're needed back on the wall. Mm. Yeah, Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for your presence. Mm. I feel like there's a couple of people in the room. I think they're two men. And I feel like God is going to bring significant freedom to your life in the next week. Putting it out there. We'll we'll know if that doesn't happen or not. But there's just, there's two of you, there's two people and you're feeling one person, you're just, you're feeling like closed in. All I can see is like, you just feel like you're trapped and you're closed in the circumstances and the situation. And actually what the Lord is saying is, do you know what? That's not your wall to build. You're on the wrong wall. You're standing building on the wrong wall and he's given you the freedom and the permission to get off it and to get on your own wall. And you have honorably built that wall. You've honorably rebuilt it when it's fallen down. But it's time to be free and to go and um, build the wall that the Lord has put in your heart, your dream, his dream. Yeah. So Father God, I thank you. Thank you for your presence with us. God, I pray that we would have the heart of Nehemiah a heart to first of all to pray to you, God, to come to you, to wait for your instructions, to partner with you, to push through, to risk, but to persevere and to not come off our walls until they're rebuilt. And God, I thank you that these dreams that you have for us are always bigger than ourselves. God, I pray for the team heading out, all of us heading out on Saturday. Lord, to rebuild the walls of our city with paint, soil, whatever, God, you give us into our hands to do, but we would begin to reimagine this town. God, we would begin to see true reconciliation spring up from the ground.